Take your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 11, please, this morning. Matthew chapter 11. We're working through a little Christmas series here on why Jesus came. And so we're going through some key passages in his life where Jesus told us his purpose for coming. In our equip class right after this at 11.15, I think, it, is it Josh this week? Where's Josh? It is Josh this week. Josh is going to sh- uh, teach us from another one of these sections. But I, I will just tell you this morning that I really do believe, and this is true of all of God's word, but I think this is one of those passages, one of those sections, that if we really let it settle into our hearts and believe it, it would radically change our lives. I was going to play a song for you, but I think it's probably a little too much this morning, called Unbelievable. It's a a newer Christmas song, but it starts with this line. Come and see the inconceivable and believe the unbelievable. And then this simple phrase, God has come to dwell with us. That is unbelievable, isn't it? This is kind of a believe the unbelievable part time of year, isn't it? And so I really am going to ask you this morning to, to try really hard, to, to pay attention well, to, to listen well and go, God, would you help me believe this? And not just like 25% believer, like partway believe. We're really good at that, aren't we? I want to believe a little bit of this and a little bit of that and a little bit over there and a little bit here. And, and in the end, we think we've done a good job because we have this you know, uh, concoction of beliefs, but we actually have just made a big mess. And and what Jesus is going to tell us today, I'm going to ask you to believe. I'm also going to ask you to hear it as from God's heart today. Because if we're not careful, even what Jesus says could become counterproductive. This is genuinely God's heart for us. And I feel in many ways like like the verses we're going to read are an uphill battle in the place and time that we live, but probably no more than they were in Jesus' day. And I don't want to concede here, as I preach this morning, defeat. I actually want to believe God's word, and that has power to work in our hearts and change us. Right? Do you believe that this morning? That God's word has power to work in you and change you? Let's read Matthew chapter 11. I'm going to start in verse 25. Jesus is kind of marveling about a couple things here. At that time, the Bible says, Matthew eleven twenty five. 25, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and have revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. If you were to look back through the beginning of chapter 11, there were some people who you would have expected to receive Jesus who had rejected him. John the Baptist followers were kind of confused about him. A couple key cities were like, nope, not interested. And Jesus stops and he goes, isn't it incredible, God, that you reveal yourself to whoever you will. Sometimes not to the people we expect, but to the unexpected. And then Jesus says this, listen to what he says. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, 
and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Let's pray together. God, would you open our eyes to wonderful things from your word today? Please make it a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We are influenced by so many perspectives and so many ideas. God, would you put Jesus right in the middle of it all for us? It's in his name we pray. Amen. Jesus makes an incredible claim here. See, I press play. I'm going to turn it off. Nope. It's coming. And that's this, that he came to give us rest. And I just wonder if, if we can actually believe that this morning. Do, do you actually believe that there's rest? Or, or have we reached a place as a culture where we've just kind of quit believing that that actually even exists? Jesus says here, come to me, verse 28, and I will give you rest. And then verse 29, and you will find rest for your souls. But here's the reality. In a relentless world, people really need rest. Do you connect with that statement? Anybody feel like the world around you is relentless? It just won't stop. Jesus says to, to us, <laughs> to the people listening to him, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Jesus acknowledges that many of the people who surrounded him, and I think we could acknowledge in our own hearts, that many, of, many times our lives, we feel very weak. We are laboring and are heavy laden. We're exhausted, right? We, we reach a point of, of exhaustion where our effort is gone. Anybody feel like your, your energy tank hovers just above E? Like, like your, my, my, uh, car, my Jeep, I think, has like 15 gallons of gas. It could hold 15 gallons of gas. And it's like we're living at 14 and a half gallons spent. And, and then, and then we, we like take a little trip or we, we get, a, get a little recharge. We get a long weekend. Well, not three-day weekends. Those just mess, up, mess us up worse. But we get like a three-day weekend. We get, we get a day to sleep in, a Saturday that's free. And our, our tank goes from, you know, an eighth to a quarter. And then we jump right back into the things that are going on and we go right back down. And I feel like we're running like this all the time. Do you feel like that? Jesus says, come to me, all you who labor, labor to the point of exhaustion and are heavy laden. We are under a burden. The expectations seem endless. Can I just ask you to think this morning, where do the expectations in your world come from? I mean, I mean here I am. I have my own expectations of myself. Anybody have expectations of yourself? Right, so we're like putting a burden on ourselves, ourself. My spouse has expectations. My boss has expectations. I am my own boss, so now I have double expectations. Our society has expectations. Social media is just filled with people creating expectations for you. Do you see that? I mean, like, how much have birthday cakes changed in the last 25 years? What in the world? I, I was talking to Tim the other day, and he said, Dad, my birthday's not till May. I said, right? He goes, and you know that birthdays are like, they're like about things. About things. 
feels like it's either a Paw Patrol birthday or it's a, you know, construction birthday. Or, and then you got to figure out how to make the cake that fits the birthday that... My mom didn't even know what fondant was. <laughs> Expectations. And they just pile and pile and pile and pile. And so we're functioning just like the people Jesus talks about here. We're weary and we're heavy laden. We've got too little energy and too much expectation. I started thinking about that little phrase as I was reading these verses. Too much. I don't know if another phrase better defines America. We live in a culture of excess, don't we? And so we're doing too much so we can have too much. We're expecting too much. We're working too much. We're caring too much so we can experience too much. We need too much. And it creates this crushing cycle of life. We look like this lady. And we could just add 10 boxes on top. And it's not just adults, by the way. We've created this culture and it filters down. I can tell you that when I was in youth group a long, long time ago, I cannot remember a single prayer request that related to stress. Can I tell you, it is regular in our youth group now that teens go, can you just pray for me? I'm really, really stressed out. Teenagers, the relationships are stressful, the work is stressful, my home is stressful. I'm living with discouragement and anxiety. Question, where are they learning it? Where are they finding out that that's the right way to feel about the world? I heard an anecdote recently from a book called Crazy Busy by Kevin DeYoung. It's a great book. He's talking about a person who had just moved to the U.S. and started introducing themselves as busy because everyone they asked said, oh, I'm very busy. Oh, I'm busy. So they thought everyone's name related to this idea of being busy. So who are you? I'm busy. That's what we've created. And so we're frantic and we're frustrated and we're stressed out. We're busy. We're buried. We're buckling under the pressure And sometimes that sense of too much is self-inflicted, and sometimes it seems beyond our control, doesn't it? But that's what Jesus means when he says, come to me, every one of you who is weary and heavy laden. I wonder about the man who wrote this book, a man named Matthew. Remember what his job was before he came to Jesus? He's a tax collector. Talk about a world where you could never please anyone and everyone thought bad of you. I was doing a little reading on that this week. He was actually kind of like third tier in the, in the, in the medium-sized business structure that was tax collection. So there was somebody in Rome who had made a deal with the government and said they would deliver this much tax money into the treasury, into the publicani is what it was called. That's why we have the idea of a publican in our, in our Bibles often, tax collector. And so that guy back in Rome had made a deal with the government that he would collect this many taxes. And then he had a mid-level manager who was likely Roman as well, but lived in Israel, who was actually responsible for making sure that happened. And then he had a ground-level tax collector who was likely Jewish, who had to make sure that the contract from Rome was delivered to the mid-level manager, and he had to do that among all his friends and neighbors. And so he'd either work at a central location or he'd actually stop people as they traveled and say, how much is your donkey carrying? so he could assess their accurate tax and then collect it. And it was a culture of corruption. Collect as much as you can so that we can have as much as we can. And, and pressure, pressure, pressure. And you have to imagine that when Matthew went home at night, he was like, everybody hates me. Nobody loves me. Guess I'll go eat worms. He, he had to get home and say, the Romans aren't happy with me because I haven't collected enough taxes. 
My friends and neighbors are mad at me because I'm collecting taxes from them. In order for me to make a living, I live in a culture of extortion and cheating people. He was actually part of a trade that the religious teachers of his day had forbidden. He was on the, the, the naughty list. Can you imagine how that felt every day when he went home? And so what do we do? Well, we've devised Band-Aid solutions, haven't we? I mean, one of the big solutions we use as Americans is escape. So I feel this crushing pressure in my life. And so you know what I need to do? I just need to get away. And so we escape with our vacations. You know what I need to get, to get my soul back refreshed? I just need the ocean. I need a beach somewhere. Some of you love beaches. I'm not downing on beaches. Beaches are awesome. Right? Carmen's posting Puerto Rico pictures all the time. It's super cool. And then she's posting Harriman pictures like, and here. <laughs> I need to go to the mountains. You know where my happy place is? It's Disney. I've never been in a place where so many people are in love with Disney. That's a fascinating thing here in Utah. You know what? I don't need any of those things. In fact, I'm so frugal, I'm just going to do a staycation. We escape with our hobbies. Man, I'll just feel a lot better. I know this because I live it. If I get on the golf course. Man, if I can just go shooting, if I can just lose myself in a book, if I can just game until two in the morning, it'll just, we escape with our sins and our vices, don't we? And then the ultimate escape that has become more and more prevalent in our society is just getting rid of life altogether. So here we are, weary and heavy laden. But can I give you some good news this morning? I've, I'm not gonna fight with, fight with them, sorry. From his kind heart, Jesus offers you real rest. See what he says? Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Does your soul need rest? This is rest that comes straight from God himself, This is not some pastor telling you that we can find rest for you. This is not even someone with a bunch of money telling you that. This is not your best friend or your parents. This is Jesus. God himself says we can have rest. And he says it comes straight from his heart. And I think this is one of the things we really struggle to believe. That God is kind. What does he say about himself? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. I wonder if God looks down at us as we frantically run our lives, trying to impress everyone, including him, and he says, this is not at all how I intended it. What are you doing? Why are you going crazy? Why aren't you sleeping? Why do you think that seven days a week is how much you should work? So you go, oh, I don't work. I just do yard work. Well, I don't work. I just do house work. And we run and run and run. And God says, I am kind. Don't you see that Jesus is trying to tell us that this morning? He's not standing over you like some boss who wonders if you're going to come back late from your break. He's actually gentle and lowly. It reminded me of this moment in Jesus' life. In the Old Testament book of Zechariah, you say, what's that weird word underneath? That's the word nevaim, and I said it wrong, but Wendy can correct me. It's actually the word for the prophets. This is part of the Old Testament. 
Zechariah 9 says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout for joy, O daughter of Jerusalem. For behold, your king will come to you. Righteous and victorious is he, a humble man, riding upon a donkey, upon a foal, the calf of a donkey. Jesus was trying to tell us something at his triumphal entry, wasn't he? That he wasn't some processional king who you couldn't approach. He wasn't someone that you had to impress. He wasn't someone lording his authority over you. He was actually approachable and gentle and kind. And can you hear his words as we start this passage? Come to me. His open arms. Come to me. Jesus offers you rest, and it comes from the heart of God. We read Psalm 116 this morning. God is merciful. You say, I've messed up. Welcome to the club. You say, it doesn't look like you've ever messed up. You just don't know me. Ask my wife. Let's talk about yesterday. No, let's not. God is here to offer rest. And it's a deep rest. It's rest from God himself, rest from his heart, but it's real rest for our hearts. That's why in Jeremiah 2, God says, why are you digging yourself wells to get water that doesn't actually satisfy you when I can satisfy you? He says in Isaiah 55, stop trying to buy things that won't satisfy you. Come to me, I'll give you bread and I'll satisfy you. It's rest for our souls. Would you turn to Romans 5 with me? Romans chapter 5. You say, I'm, I'm getting... Oh, I know that book pretty well. Good, we should at this point. Romans chapter five. Jesus offers rest for our souls. And this is where I worry that what Jesus has said to us just seems too good to be true. We've actually kind of let go of the idea that rest can be found. Jesus offers us rest for our souls and it's rest forever. It's eternal rest. Look at Romans chapter five. Therefore, since we have been justified, made right with God by faith, not by works, by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also attained access by faith into this grace where we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Now, I know many of you have come to grips with this and have settled this in your own heart, but I'm certain in a room this big this morning that some of you have not. You're not yet sure that what Jesus did is enough to pay for your sin. But can I tell you that it is? That Jesus died and rose again so that our sins could be forgiven and we can have eternal rest. We can have peace with God by faith and live in God's grace and kindness every day of our lives. We can rest from trying to impress God and fix our soul with him. But it goes beyond eternal rest. It actually goes to rest for now. Go back to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. Jesus is not saying, I will give you rest someday. He's actually saying, I'll give you rest now and forever. Don't you understand that God built you to rest? That's why one-third of your day, healthy people say, scientists tell us, should be spent doing what? Asleep. Do you know what the psalmist said? 
that it's vain for you to rise up early and stay up late and eat the bread of sorrow because God has designed you to sleep. Some of us are trying to grab every ounce out of every corner of every day and we're staying up late and we're getting up early and we're miserable doing it but we think that's the grindstone we're supposed to be on. God planned you to sleep. You know, I was hoping that this word, this is pastoral hoping right here. I was hoping that this word that I read here was the word that kind of paralleled the idea of shalom, like having life all together. You know what this word is for rest here? It's the word to be dead asleep. Jesus is saying, you want to pass out on the couch? You want to rest? Come to me. He planned every week that you would take a full day to rest. And that's not a Jewish thing, by the way. That's a creation thing. That's six days of work and a day of rest. You will do wonders for your soul if you shut it down for a day. And some of you won't even know what that's like. Like, I can't do that till my vacation. You should start. God intends us to rest. Say, how can I find that kind of rest? I'm in. Jesus tells us. Look back in Matthew chapter 11. Look for the commands. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You say, it's the third time you're reading it. Right. Because I want us to believe it. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Did you see three commands in there? Number one, come to Jesus. You know what that means? Stop trying to do it on your own. Stop trying to figure out life and succeed at life and conquer all the demands of life by yourself. Come to Jesus. Second thing he says, take my yoke upon you. He said, that sounds like work. Right. You know what he's saying? Put me fully in charge. And here's the problem. I would tell you there are two keys in this message this morning, and these are mine, so let the Holy Spirit work on you however you want. But I'm gonna give you two keys. The first is this. Believe that God wants to give you rest. That's one. But the second is this. Stop trying to carry the leadership, the mastery of lots of things. This is what we're doing. Remember those box, that box earlier? We're piling yokes on ourselves. You know who my authority is? It's my boss. You know what? It's my parents. You know what? It's that coach. Because if I don't show up for practice, then life is over. Man, it's that teacher and their expectations. It's my spouse. It. I'll tell you pastorally, it's this church family. What, how do they think I'm doing? Am I being successful? Am I talking to the right people? Did I spend my lobby time? Huh, huh, huh. And that's how we stack up yokes. And we're like trading them out. And then this is in charge and that's in charge. And, we're, and then we got like 16 things on our shoulders. And we're getting crushed. And most of you in this room know exactly what I'm saying right now. Because you feel it just like I feel it. Moms, you have like 30 yokes. You just open social media and you've got all the perfect moms. And look at you. What a mess you are. And it's crushing us. And Jesus says, ditch them all. Tell them all to pound sand. And put me fully in charge. Wake up every morning and say this. Jesus, you are fully in charge this morning. I will do whatever you want me to do today and I don't care what anybody else thinks. You say, I can't do that. I'll lose my job. 
Maybe. Is that okay? I think this is part of the reason why we have no conception of the idea of all who will live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Because we're living just like the rest of our society, trying to keep everyone happy and trying to serve a whole bunch of masters. Listen, if that coach says you need to show up for 5 a.m. practice and it's not good for your family and it's not good for your soul and it's not good for your kids, then you tell that coach, sorry, can't be there. And there's the rub. We have our own goals and priorities and hopes and dreams that we're not willing to give up for Jesus. We actually think that we're the ones who provide for ourselves, so what if, what if that job didn't work out? You know what? It could be awesome for your soul. We're trying to keep tons of other people happy, and nobody's happy, least of all us. And Jesus says this, put me fully in charge. Every day, every decision, every moment, every conversation, everything. Put me fully in charge. Take my yoke upon me. And you see the last one? And learn from me. We gotta let Jesus tell us what's true. We got bad ideas about everything. Some of them we picked up on our own. Some of them we picked up from our family. Someone we're picking up from this culture. We got bad ideas about work, bad ideas about family, bad ideas about money, bad ideas about kids, bad ideas about hobbies. We got bad ideas about everything. And Jesus says, will you just listen to me? You say, I need the right perspective on family. You bet, because for some of you, family's crushing you. Go listen to Jesus. Jesus loved his mom. He cared for her on the cross. You remember that? And Jesus also wasn't beholden to his family. When they were off course, he was like, that's okay, I got other mothers and I got other brothers and sisters. You guys are right here. He didn't live for that. Jesus had the right perspective on work. He had the right perspective on recreation and fun. He didn't make a big deal out of it. Learn from him. Do you know that this life is an open book test? I've been teaching this semester. I don't think I've given a single open book test. It's probably just because I'm mean. This life is an open book test. You have the textbook of exactly what God wanted to tell you in order to pursue this life in a way that satisfies and gets you rest. We just have to open the book. And we just have to stop believing what our culture is saying and what other people are saying and listen to Jesus. So, leave what's crushing you. You say, I can't. You can. Yes, you can. Come to Jesus. If you've never left your own efforts to get to heaven and have eternal life, can I beg you to leave your own efforts at getting to God yourself and come to Jesus? He died for you and rose again so you could have eternal life. Come to him. Leave what controls you. Man, I think this is where we really struggle. I do. Do you know that to some degree, it does not matter how my wife responds to me or what she thinks of me. Let me say that again. To some degree, it does not matter what my wife thinks about me or how she responds to me. And yet that's the most precious relationship in the world. You know what matters? Jesus told me, wake up today and sacrificially love your wife. Dwell with her according to knowledge. Give your life for her in the same way I gave my life for you. You say, well, then it will all work out. It might not, but that's okay because every morning when I wake up, Jesus needs to be in charge. And can I tell you this? When you practice life this way, 
it will provide incredible rest for your souls. Do you know as a pastor, my skill and ability is not based on an opinion poll of everybody saying here? As much as I love our team, it's not even totally based on what Danny thinks or what Daniel thinks. I love our deacons. I'm thankful for them. Here. And when you shed all those other things, and this is super hard to do, it's simple but hard. It's like a pull-up. Just pull yourself up. Ah! <laughs> ah! <laughs> do you know what that's what Jesus is saying? It's a beautiful picture, isn't it? There's something magical about watching children sleep. When Tim was little, very little, he still tries to do it, but he's getting too big for things. And it, like he jumps on me now and it hurts. He like a bony knee in the thigh. <clears throat> he used to love to crawl up. I, we have a recliner that we love. He used to love to crawl up and just kind of get in this nook of my arm and go to sleep. So we napped together on like Sunday afternoons or other times. And it was, it was incredible. And you know what? As a dad, it, was, it became like my favorite part of life. Just sitting with him and f- feeling him trust me, be with me, and sleep. Jesus came because it's the heart of God to gently and humbly give you rest so you could crawl into that corner with the God of the universe and be at peace. Stop letting everyone else and everything else rob you of the rest Jesus wants to give you. Pray with me. God, thank you for this incredible truth. It is almost impossible for us to believe and and we are guilty of just putting other things back in charge all the time Would you help us to come to you, take your yoke, learn from you, and find the rest that our souls so deeply need? And God, would you help anyone here who has never come to Jesus for that eternal rest to do that even today?